0: Mark 9, and uh, we'll start in verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing, uh, arguing with them about, he asked. And the man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son." who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And, he, and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If... You can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he, he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And He replied, this kind of can come out only by prayer. Uh, Last week, uh, we saw, if you were here, Jesus up on the mountain. Jesus with Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples, and he unfolds who he is. They think that they know Jesus, and so he's up on the mountain, and Moses and Elijah are with Jesus, and the Father is speaking, this is my son, and Jesus is radiant. He's whiter than white. He is who he really is because he's not just a man. He is God come. And most people don't get it, but these three get it. And put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Put yourself like Peter, like James, John. What would happen if you saw Jesus for who he really, really is? Can I suggest that your life could get harder? That your world could get more confusing? I think that if you encounter Jesus tonight for who he is, your life could get worse, seemingly. You say, what? Well, look at what happens to Jesus as he comes off of the mountain. He steps into chaos. He doesn't come down and everyone's ready to, to hear what, what, it, what they had experienced up in, on the top. Instead, he finds an argument and he finds a demon destroying this young, innocent Boy, so, so just because you get a glim- glimpse of Jesus doesn't mean your life is going to seemingly on the outside all work out. I got a, a pastor friend of mine. He pastors a huge church in, in San Diego. His name is Miles McPherson. And I've known him for years, and we've spoken at conferences together. And when Miles, who's a traveling speaker, he started this church, and it exploded from day one, just huge amounts of growth. People come to follow Jesus. I saw him a year later at a conference. We were both at, and I said, how's it going? He's like, man. Let me tell you, bigger doors, bigger demons. I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? He's like, I thought I knew what it's like to follow Jesus and have a little bit of pushback or attack. He like, in the last year, and then he just went on and on and on about all of the things that were going on while he was experiencing the presence of Jesus at work in the church. At the same time, he was experiencing a greater attack. And what we're going to notice as we get towards the end of Mark, as Jesus has shown himself for who he is on the mountain between now and chapter 16 towards the end, the demons are going to get more violent and it's going to get more chaotic. That's what often happens when you see Jesus for who he is. He is. Now, tonight, what we, what we want to do is we want to look at this story with this in mind. Uh, Christmas is about presents and fun and family and eggnog and other dairy products and all that, but it's really, it's really about Jesus, right? But it's also about people in need, and we do the offering for that in the giving catalog and all of that. And tonight, though, we want to look at different responses. When you confront someone who is in need, how will you respond? Tonight, when you walk out or you are talking with someone afterwards, when you encounter someone who is in need, how are you going to respond? Tonight, we see in the text a variety variety of responses. Look, look at the first one, back in verse 14. Jesus comes to the other disciples. He saw a large crowd, and the teachers of the law are arguing with them. I, I just want you to see this. Uh, Jesus is the miracle worker, and he's up and he's away, and now the, the followers, the nine, they're... They're doing what Jesus told them to do. Jesus had already given them the authority and power to drive out demons. None of this is new and they've done it before. And now they're, they're caught in a situation where they're trying to see this child set free but nothing's happening. And what's going on? The teachers of the law, the scribes, uh, the PhDs, the religious leaders, they are arguing with the disciples. Now nowhere in the text does it say that they're better at casting out demons. It doesn't even say that they're trying to help. It says they're arguing with Jesus' followers, and I think that is intriguing. My wife and I, uh, she's home really sick. I appreciate your prayers on that. She's just been uh, sick for the last three days with a massive cold. But uh, we were living in Kansas City, and I was speaking at a church on a Wednesday night, and I got there way too early. I expected traffic. And so I'm sitting in the parking lot, and there was like stop signs right where the church meets. And I'm watching as this car speeding along, it's a four-way stop, and plows through the stop sign. The person was not paying attention, and the other car was going through because they had stopped. And this car just T-bones this other car, sends the hit car pushing forward into a ditch on the other side of the road so fast that it flips over. And it all happened right in front of my eyes. So I'm like, I don't even know what to do. So I grab my cell phone and I run out of the car and I run to the scene and other people that are around, they get out of their car and people run into the scene. People inside the church saw it and so they come out to the scene. There's 30 to 40 people around this and the firemen come quickly and they're, this, this lady's in the car upside down and they're having to like chainsaw her out and, and then the ambulance comes and they put her in the stretcher and all that. And let me tell you, 30 to 40 people who are on their phone, like, trying to get help and thinking and I'm praying, nobody's arguing. Nobody's, like, arguing, like, hey, is that the proper way to open the door? No, like, when someone is in trouble, when someone is hurting, when someone is in need, What do we do? You see, the the beauty of the story here is you see that the teachers of the law are, there's nothing wrong with a debate, nothing wrong with a committee, nothing wrong with a strategic plan and figuring out budget of how are you going to help those that are in need. But when you entertain someone who is in crisis mode, a.k.a. a dad whose poor child has been suffering Horrifically and miserably for a long time. That is not the time to pull the the, the disciples aside and say, Hey, are you sure you're doing this the proper way? And there's a point in life when you and I have to have our eyes wide open. What's happening with these guys? They're obviously distracted. They're distracted by secondary issues. Uh, Most rabbis didn't claim to have miracle power, Jesus did. Most disciples of rabbis even who had miracle power, it didn't pass on the disciples. Anyone with extra ability, it usually stayed with the teacher. So so is it that the teachers of the law are jealous, or maybe they're rightfully trying to say, wait a minute, Jesus is authorized, but you're not. Who cares? Something is wrong within them because of their approach to this young child. And we can relate to that. When you see a child in need, it's not a time to debate and hem and haw and figure it out. There are people who talk and there are people who act. And I think it would be great over these next couple of weeks what we're going to look at is tonight at the heart of it, how can we align ourselves so when we meet people in need that our heart is prepared to do the right thing. Next week, I'm going to have Mike McDonald come and teach and he's going to present need. He's going to, uh, Mike leads the ministry called Hear the Cry. What we do collectively with our three churches in the city to help the poor and the orphan and the widow. And so Mike's going to be sharing stories next week of, of what's happening and where God's at work and what are the struggles and what are the needs. And then the week after that, we want to think about our response to it. So this is like a three-week get ourselves ready for the schnitz, because of the schnitz will be Christmas songs and joy, but there's all sorts of mess going on at Christmas. Would you agree? Christmas is messy. There's all this red and green and, oh, 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 and and 50% off and 60% off and all of that. But underneath the surface, there are people in desperate need right now. And you may be one of them. I don't know. But the religious leaders are totally distracted. So what we have in the story is need and then different people responding in different ways. The teachers of the law are offline. And Mark puts it in there. To see, let's not live like that. Let's not be known as the people who debate and talk and don't act. But rather, we're going to see the response of Jesus. Okay, so let's just continue on the text. So the the teachers are distracted. Jump down to verse 16. What What are you arguing with them about? He asked, and a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed, By a spirit that's robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. What's uh, The first challenge is distraction. Uh, the, The teachers of the law are distracted by arguing. For most of us, our distraction isn't debate and arguing. It's just busyness. We are so consumed by consuming that we get consumed by our consumption. We're just busy people. We're so full of the things that are really important, and there's nothing wrong with shopping lists and to-do lists, and, and we all are working longer hours. And, and, and I'm, Look, I'm in the same mess too. I've got way too much to do and too little time, but I think our challenge isn't debate. Our challenge is to put ourselves in a position where we actually have a little bit of margin so we see what's going on. Now, the disciples, fortunately, unlike the other teachers, they see what's going on and they make an attempt. They try. They try to help the guy out. Now, let's think about this. This is an old story, but let's just bring it to date. Let's think about your story. Right now, I want you to think about something that you are going through right now or maybe a loved one if you're at total peace. And I want you to think about the impossible situation what are you going through that you just can't get rid of, or you can't fix, you can't make right? What, what's going on in your world that needs the intervention of someone else? Until we get ourselves in that frame of reference, it's hard to see the power and the potential of what goes on here when we get it right. And by the way, Jesus does get it right. The others have challenges. Now, the disciples, they jump in, but they, they're powerless to do anything. I could relate to that. I've shared a lot this year, but when I, you know, when I ask you that question, I immediately come to mind my own brother. He taught here uh, not too long ago, and you know, in January this year, he had a massive heart attack seemingly out of left field, and I've been watching for the last year now, almost it's December, hard to believe it, the struggles of his health and the highs and the lows and the tests and the bad reports and the little bit of progress, followed by, oh, well, we didn't anticipate this, and so when I think about what the disciples, like, I just want to go in and, like, fix his heart. You know, it's a very guy thing to do. Go in. Don't listen to the woman that you love. You just go in and let me tell you, here's how we're going to fix it. You know, it's just that's the guy mindset. Maybe that's just me. But, but I want to fix it. I want to make it right. And I, I can't. And that's where the disciples find themselves. They're, they're powerless. Now, why are they Powerless. Look down at verse 20. Uh, they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So, what we have here is tricky. Um, most scholars think when you look at the boy's symptoms, it's some form of epilepsy. He's having these epileptic seizures. But it's not just a physical condition because we obviously know that when the boy is brought closer to Jesus, what happens? He immediately is thrown into this, and he he goes to the ground, and he's foaming at the mouth, and he's suffering. So he has a physical ailment, for sure, but he also is being attacked. Now, this sounds crazy. If you're not yet following Jesus, look, I will admit this sounds absolutely loony. It just happens to be verifiably true. There is more than matter. Reality is not just what we see, taste, touch, feel. There is immaterial that is real. And most that really study and think will at least be open to that plausible idea that there's more to life than what you see. And so that's what we see here. So, which is it? Is this problem medical and it's like, you know, early and this is, this is 2,000 years ago, so they can't diagnose it and really they could fix them? Or is it immaterial? Is it spiritual? Now, the problem is, as Americans and as Western Europeans, we immediately want to put it in a box. It was a physical issue, or no, it was a spiritual issue, and the Bible does not allow that. It's more messy than that. There's an interplay between what we see and what we don't see, and we see that in this story. There is a demon manipulating him physically and causing him at times in the presence of Jesus the attack comes. So am I suggesting that all medical issues have some sort of spiritual evil demonic background? Absolutely not. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am saying that there's more to what's going on in your world than you see. And we need to be awake and alert as followers of Jesus that sometimes the things that we are going through, it's horrific, it's hard, it's a challenge. But sometimes like, oh, well, this thing will just go away. Things will be just better. Um, Well, no, maybe not. What we see here is that they're powerless to do something. And they're powerless, the disciples, because there is a demonic front against this boy that they have yet been able to overtake. Powerless. Powerless. Now, the disciples, they they couldn't handle it. Now, Jesus tells us why in verse 29. We'll get to that in just a minute. All I want you to know is sometimes when we confront people who are in suffering, in need, or whatever, we can feel powerless. Would you agree? Every time I go on an on-ramp on twenty six and I see someone uh, asking for change, with some sort of creative signs. I mean, some of them are flat-out hysterical. I think, gosh, well, I could pull over, and I know what I could do, but I know that their circumstance and their story is way more complex than the need for dinner. And I feel powerless. You ever find yourself in that circumstance? Maybe it's not even like just someone else. Maybe it's your life right now. Maybe it's your world. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your child. Maybe... It's your reality. And you're like, oh, I want to see freedom, but I just, I'm powerless. So at least the disciples, here's the the trick. The disciples do the right thing. When we feel powerless, do something. That's the point. Jesus doesn't bash the disciples for their attempt because at least they fail in an attempt. If you're going to fail, fail moving forward when you see someone who's in need, when you see something that's not right, even if you don't have it all together and you don't fix it completely, let's be a people marked like Jesus and the disciples, a people marked by action. Now, their action isn't complete because the guy is not set free. But look at, look at the third encounter and the third response because it's, it's really heart-wrenching when you think about it. Verse uh, 20 again, the boy falls to the ground, rolls around, Foaming at the mouth, Jesus asked the boy's father. So now he's gotten away from the crowd. He's dealt with these teachers of the law. The disciples can't do it. Now he's talking to the dad. How long has he been like this? Verse 21 in the middle. From childhood, he answered, It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity. The word there is compassion, which we've seen all throughout Mark in reference to Jesus have have compassion the, the word the phrase there is so graphic it's it's the inner guts the intestines feel with us Jesus in the soul and the gut Jesus my gut is wrenching over my boy but will you take pity will you will you come into my situation and do what and help us. Um, what's going on with the father? The first challenge that the teachers of the law is they're distracted, they're off course, and they don't even get it. Uh, the disciples try, but they're powerless. Here we see that the dad has gotten a little skeptical. Now, before we judge him, I want you to again think about that issue that you talked about in your own brain your, 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 your biggest challenge, your biggest struggle. Um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you mine. I can I can't speak for you. The biggest issue in our world in our and my wife and I's marriage has been infertility. And I've talked about it before. It took us 9 years to get pregnant. 9 years. irony is I knew I'd fall apart yet I said I better say it because that's life. I had a um, like an epiphany this week. Really weird. This is going to be funny actually. Um, I'm a baby hawk. I really, really am. And I get, you know, it's self-proclaimed. I love babies. I think the greatest thing about this church are the number of car seats that come in. I'm not kidding. I love to see little babies come in. I love a little baby bump. You know, like I, I just think it's the most precious thing in the world. Why? Because we couldn't have kids. Not by God's grace, we did. So I understand skepticism because at first we didn't want kids because we were so young and we just got married and wanted to travel the world. And then you try, and it's like, okay, we're trying, and, you know. And then you pray, and nothing happens. And then you, you know, you get advice and you go to doctors and nothing happens. So... Let's think about people in need with that kind of lens. Now, your issue is different than mine and but I know what it's like i i I get his his line Jesus, if you could do anything i'd 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 love it now uh what do you do? So the dad's skeptical. And, and he says to Jesus, if you can, and, and that's where Jesus, this is so loving. This is not a slam like, if you can, don't you know, you know, don't you know I was just on the mountain? He says something so positive. It's beautiful. Look at verse 23. Everything is possible for one who believes. I think it's just so so encouraging to know that when we look at suffering, when we look at need, when we look at what people or what you are going through, it's not the end of the story. That's not the only news. And you may be facing terrible circumstances and horrible odds, but that's not the only reality. Jesus says here, what we need to get as his followers is that everything is possible for the one who believes. So what Jesus does is he makes the statement of hope and then he backs it up. So so you may be hearing, you may be really skeptical about this following Jesus because... You have experienced X, Y, and Z, and but what about the person that doesn't get well? And, but what about the person that really prays and cries out to God and things get worse? But you can do all that, and, and there are some questions that are very tricky and complex and hard to answer fully because we don't know the full story. But what we do know is that Jesus says and does the impossible. And so he says, everything's possible to the person that believes. Immediately, the boy says, I do believe. So he's a skeptic, but there's a big difference between between being unsure and having some doubts and being someone who is riddled with unbelief and in your heart where you say, "Uh, I I don't buy it. I'll go to the meetings. I'll do this stuff. I just don't buy it. In his heart, he really does believe, but he's honest about his doubts. And I just say to you tonight, in any area uh, of your faith, be honest. Here's a trick. You can't trick God anyway. You can't. So you might as well come and be honest and say, Lord, I believe this about you, but this part, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And that's where Jesus meets him. Verse 25. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene. Look at what he does. He doesn't even want to put on a show. He says, he rebukes the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. This is so beautiful. Jesus does in one moment what no other human being could do. And, and he does it in response. Listen. To very imperfect, humble, skeptical faith, and so some people say, like, well, I don't know if I have enough faith enough to receive anything from God. You don't need a lot. You don't need this overwhelming, perfect, biblically accurate faith. What you need is to do what he did, which was take whatever he had and throw it in the direction of Jesus. If you believe, anyone is pos- anything is possible for the one who believes. So. He's not perfect, and the disciples aren't perfect, and the teachers of the law aren't perfect. And what we're supposed to see in the story is that all three of them, everyone else but Jesus, has struggles and gets it wrong. The teachers of the law are just distracted disciples. They're just powerless. They can't really help the guy out. And this guy's a little bit skeptical, but one person does believe perfectly. And this is the hope of Christmas as far as I'm concerned. It's not that we get it right and we now, you know, we're in the perfect sweet spot so Jesus has to do something for us. No, what we realize at Christmas is that Jesus comes for the broken and the confused and the distracted and Jesus does it perfectly. He perfectly believes that God the Father wants to see this child set free. He perfectly knows that the demon has to come under the command of Jesus. He perfectly tells that, he doesn't play games, doesn't argue. He commands the evil to leave. So evil in this world is real, but we need to remember that Jesus is greater than the evil that we see. And Jesus is greater than the injustices that we look at in the newspaper or online every day. And Jesus is more loving and caring than any government agency or not-for-profit or human philanthropic person. Jesus does it perfectly. And the point of the story, and Mark wants to get it in our brains, is that Jesus can do what no one else does. But, but then it leads to this great question, because think about it. The disciples are like, I don't get it. How come Jesus got it done and we can't get it done? If you can, if you can, if you can. The, the disciples somehow must have been leaning in that direction because he'd already given them the authority to do it and they weren't able to do it, but Jesus steps in with compassion, and, and that's simply love in action. Jesus does something for him, and it makes the disciples wonder. Verse uh, 26, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, to his feet, and he stood up. The word here, lifting him up, is the same word used for Jesus post the cross. Three days later, Jesus is resurrected. And there's a little hint here. The boy looked dead. And Jesus is about to go towards the cross where he's gonna fully die, but he's gonna experience resurrection. But before Jesus does it, he gives this boy a taste Of what he's about to go through, he looks like he's dead. It looks like it's over for the boy. It's going to look like it's over for Jesus. But on the tail end of that, no, God is with him, and the boy rises up, and he's risen. So just like Jesus is risen from the grave, this boy is risen, and he experiences the resurrection now. And I think that's the most exciting thing that we need to get from this is when we face hell on earth, we need to come with the lens that Jesus offers that he brings, that he, that he gives resurrection. He's alive and he gives that now, not just later, like when you die and you go off to be with him if you're one of his followers. He, he gives resurrection like right in the here and now. And so we want to be a people when we're confronted with suffering, when we're confronted with need, that we have eyes open, not just to the problem, but we know the one and we're related to the one who does things perfectly. You're a child of God. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are, according to Scripture, you're a co-heir, an equal heir of all that Jesus possesses is yours. And, and, and Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and to live inside of me. Everything that that Jesus has access to as he's walking the earth, he authorizes his disciples to do Before he goes, and then he reminds them after he goes. So what they are experiencing should be normal. And as followers of Jesus, now this, I have to confess, is like huge. This is like mind-blowing. And for most of us, we're not going to have these kind of mind-blowing experiences of resurrection. But I just want to get in your soul tonight that when you face suffering yourself or with others, you face need, that you'll come with the lens that in Jesus It does not have to stay that way. And I think sometimes we feel powerless. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be distracted by the here and now because we really don't believe that Jesus longs to make the wrong right. We actually dupe ourselves into believing that, well, it's just going to be that way. And, well, there's nothing I can do. And today I just want you to see from this encounter that Jesus does it perfectly so that now you and I can partner with him. How do I know that? Verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately. So now they're alone. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replies, this kind can only come out by prayer, which just seems weird. Why? Because Jesus didn't pray. And because it doesn't say that disciples prayed. So what is Jesus getting at? Why would he say this one only comes out by prayer? Some of your translations say by prayer and fasting. Some of the earliest manuscripts to just have prayer. We think he's talking about prayer, not prayer and fasting. Other conversation for another day. But simply, what does that mean? What, why does Jesus say prayer? Because prayer is simply faith turned to God. And, and I just wanted you to get this. Jesus is not throwing him a curveball. What he is saying is, you could have driven this demon out. You could have. But what's at play here is faith being turned towards God. Somewhere in the mix of it, the disciples fell short. Maybe they didn't call on God, or maybe they didn't really believe that this one could be handled. But the reason Jesus says prayer, it's out of relationship that anything is possible. And that's why he uses prayer, not some magical formula, not some hocus pocus. It's not about if you said this, then this would have happened. But no, it is about communication and belief. If you really believe that Jesus is going to do something, then ask him. And so there's this beautiful combination. Jesus says, out of relationship, this could be taken care of. And that's where we find ourselves right now. Now, now we're not all facing a child, in a desperate situation, your situation may be different. But we need, to, we need to remember there are lots of things that we shouldn't underestimate. Don't underestimate. This is going to sound goofy, but I, I just want to challenge you with a little. A walk around your neighborhood praying for God to set people in your neighborhood free to worship Him. Uh, my wife and I, uh, not when it's freezing cold out, but on warmer days... Uh, We spend Monday mornings, and we just walk around our neighborhood. And we know some of the families as we walk by their house. We'll just pray for them. We'll pray for their kids. If we know them by name, if not, oh, Lord, you know the couple from blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we just go around, and we pray for the school. We We just go around our neighborhood, and we pray blessing. Why? I think God wants to bless my neighborhood. Call me a radical goof. But I actually believe that. And so prayer is simply faith turned to God. If we believe that God wants to do something in our neighborhood, why wouldn't we take the first step and just pray for it? Again, what Jesus is reminding his disciples is what's going to hold them back from experiencing all that God wants to do is not God. God wants to bless, but it's when his disciples are distracted or feel powerless or they're skeptical. We can keep back God from doing what he wants to do. That is a reality. You see it all across the scripture. But on the flip side, if we will begin to not underestimate the simple things, don't underestimate the simple things that God asks you to do in the day in and day out. It could be as simple as, man, I should buy that guy lunch. Or, man, I should take some time to do X, Y, Z. Don't underestimate the little things. Don't underestimate the investment in younger people. And I say that because some of you are like, man, I am the younger person. Well, there's always someone a little bit younger. Think about it. This person in the story who was trying to be destroyed was a child. And that's, that's why it just brings up so, emotion, so much emotion in me. Because when you, when, you, when you attack a young child, everyone gets that that's evil. But you know, don't underestimate what God might want to do in your life in investing in someone younger. It could be maybe as a mentor. Maybe you're here and you've got some life experience and some Jesus experience. Maybe it's in taking the time. You say, well, what does that have to do with this story? Jesus wants to set people free. And the way he does it is when other people full of God inside of them interact and see what's going on and call on Jesus to help. Now that could happen in a very non-spooky way by being a mentor and listening to someone who's younger, hearing their struggles, applying the scripture to their life, giving them encouragement, giving them a big slap in the face when they do something idiotic, not exactly a slap, lawsuits, but you know, like <laughs> stepping in. If, if we believe that Jesus is alive and you want to set people free, why wouldn't we do that? Never underestimate your need for Jesus. We've been talking about other people's responses. Now, let's just bring it home. Uh, As we think about tonight, I want to transition towards worship. I want to throw up on the screen the phrase from Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now certainly, there is something going on in your sphere, in your family, in your world that seems impossible. But what we want to do is not just talk about it. We want to invite God to do what He did now in your world. So we want to pray. That is, we want to just turn our faith back to God. Little, infected, feeble, whatever it is. Like, we want to turn that to God and say, God, would you come? Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit of God, would you come? And would you affect change right here and right now? So let me ask you, what impossible situation are you going through right now? Could it be that Jesus wants to push you towards freedom right now? Could it be that he wants to set you free right now? Could it be that he wants to totally, radically change it or slowly turn it for the good right now? If we believe it, we need to respond to it. Maybe you're not facing an impossible situation. Okay, let me flip it. What impossible situation does he want to work through you think many times we just limit ourselves because what we believe about ourselves, let me remind you, if you are in Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Let me tell you, Jesus believes. And if Jesus is in you, then anything can happen.